Gospels to 1 Thessalonians 4. We are continuing, in case you're visiting with us, we are going through Paul's letter to the church in Thessalonica. We've been going through it for many weeks now. And we have come to chapter 4, which kind of represents a turning point in the letter. Up until now, he's been giving thanks to God. He's been telling them who they are in Christ, telling all about their identity in Christ and what that means for them and how he is so confident in their standing in Christ. Now he's going to move from that to giving them some commands. So let's read verse 1 and 2 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 together. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus... That as you receive from us how you ought to live and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. God, whenever we come to your word, we need your Holy Spirit to illuminate your word to us, to, to make us alive, to be able to hear and apply your word. So Lord, we ask for that grace today. I ask that you would empower all of us to hear from you, and you would empower me to preach in your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, my kids love to watch documentaries, and I, I, I think it's probably because I, I grew up loving to watch documentaries as well, and you learn all kinds of crazy facts. This this week, when we had friends and family with us, my kids were sharing all kinds of facts, and, and they were like, where, where did you learn these things? And they were like, National Geographic. You know, so you can learn all kinds of facts about different things and, and different animals, and so, you know, a cheetah, it can run 80 miles an hour. That's insanely fast. But if I was going to tell my kids that you need to run as fast as a cheetah, that really wouldn't be possible. I mean, I guess metaphorically speaking, they could run as fast as they could, but no one here can run as fast as a cheetah. No one can run 80 miles an hour. And if I told you that, you know, a kangaroo, it can, it can travel over 40 feet with one hop. That's like from me to Tim, maybe further. That's not possible for us to do. And if I was going to tell my kids, you need to hop that far. That would not be possible. That it would be an absurd command to give them. It would be something absurd to tell them to do. And if I told them, you know what, you need to climb like a bear. You know, a bear can go over 100 feet up a tree with no limbs in just a few seconds. And if I was going to tell them, you need to climb that tree with no limbs as fast as a bear, that would be insane. That would be impossible. It's not possible to do. But if, if they were a cheetah... You could tell them to run like a cheetah. If they were a kangaroo, you could tell them to run like a kangaroo. If you were a bear, you could tell them to climb like a bear. It would be reasonable. It would be part of who they were. It's part of their nature. And so when Paul here, he's making a shift in his letter, and he is giving some commands now. He's giving commands here, but, but he's not telling them commands that are not possible to do. He's giving them commands that are in light of who they are, in light of who God's made them to be, in light of the new creation they are in Jesus Christ. And so what Paul is really telling them is that who we are in Jesus enables us to walk with Jesus, to, to live and make progress, to live and grow. And he's saying who you are, finally, when he uses that word finally, by the way, it, it's, it may not be the best way to phrase that in English because it doesn't quite capture the nuances. What he means is, I've come to this point, and now that I've come to this point, in light of all that I've just said previously, in light of all that I've written in the first three chapters, when, what he's saying is that consequently, or and since everything I've written is, is true up until now, everything I've written is true, and so now I want you to understand the implications of what it means to live in light of that. And so he says, finally, meaning who we are in Jesus, it enables us to walk with Jesus. It, it's meant to be seen in how we walk. And so what he's, what he's saying is that God has done so much in their lives. 
what, what he's written to them so far is a whole bunch of truths. He's given thanks to God for them because God has called them. God has made them alive. God has chosen them. God's redeemed them. He's confident about their standing in Jesus Christ. And, and why he's done all those things, he's taken three chapters. Thessalonians is a unique little letter in that he takes three chapters, most of the book, just to describe who they are in Christ, what is true about them because of Christ. He's taken three chapters because he wants them to be firm in who they are because who they are then is going to be reflected in how they live and, and who we are enables us to walk in Christ. Who we are in Christ enables us to walk in Christ. And it was critical that he had a firm foundation for the commands he's about to give. And he's going to give a lot of commands. And the whole rest of the, this little letter, he's, it's, it's really filled with a whole bunch of commands. But it's important for us as Christians to know that, that the imperatives, the commands, always come after the indicatives, the who we are part. Who we are always comes before what we do. Who we are always comes first. And it's always been that way with God's people. You see, with Adam and Eve, he called them. He, he made them who they were. He given them their identity. Their identity was in him. And it was out of their strength of their relationship with God that in trusting in him and being defined by him that they were meant to obey God. He, all of that, that relationship with God, who they were with him, being defined by him, came before the command to obey him. The same is true for the covenant people of Israel under Moses as well. Can anybody tell me how, how the, the first, the Ten Commandments begin? What's, how do the ten, ten, uh, ten Commandments begin? Does anybody know? Anybody want to try? Silence. Wow. All right, come on. Somebody, somebody has to try it. Who, well, how's, the, how's the Ten Commandments begin? Exactly. It begins in, in Exodus 22. It says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt out of the house of slavery. He, the Ten Commandments, when we think of the Ten Commandments, we think of them beginning with commandments to have no other gods before me, to, to not have any other gods before God, and then a whole list of commandments. You may have even memorized Ten Commandments, and I encourage you to do so if you haven't. They are still applicable for us today. But it doesn't begin with that. It begins with who we are, even with God's people in that day. It began with the fact that being defined by God, I am the Lord your God. We're to be defined by, by who we are, by, by we belong to God. We're to be defined by the fact that he's brought us out of slavery. And he's, he's brought us out of the house of slavery where we once lived. He's brought us out. And so in the Ten Commandments, even with God's people, the indicative precedes the imperative. Who, we, who God's people are always precedes how God's people are supposed to live. There are people who belong to God. They were defined by God. Their identity was always found in relationship to God and, and who God is and what God has done first. And that's true in the, the letter to the Thessalonians. Our relationship is defined by what God has done for us already and, and who we are in Jesus always precedes what we're called to do. Because who we are in Christ comes before how we live in response to Christ. Our standing in Christ precedes our doing in Christ. And all of our doing in Christ is meant to flow out of our being in Christ. And our being in Christ is the source of our confidence and our hope to obey Christ. Now, maybe, maybe you start to bristle when you hear a bunch of commands. Like, ooh, that sounds legalistic. But you know, if, if God's made you to be a new creation, then it's reasonable that there would be a result in your life as a new creation. 
And so what he's, what he's giving to us is, is a description of what it looks like to live in light of who you already are, in light of who you've already become. Now Paul's about to transition and say, look, this is who you really are. You, you didn't know that because you used to be this old man, this old self, and this is all the things associated with living for the old self. Now that's your new self, let me tell you what that means, what that looks like. And his appeal is not just based on his own authority. His appeal is based on the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and he's asking them and he's urging them. There's this, this urgent plea. He's, he's getting serious. He says, because of all the things, who you are in Jesus, it, it's, it's meant to enable us to walk in Jesus. And I want to ask you, I want to urge you, he, he wants us to grow in Jesus. And then he gives some, some commands here. But he didn't make up what he passed on to the church. The second thing that we're going to see is, is how we walk and grow in Jesus. How we walk and grow in Jesus, it comes from what Jesus has commanded us. Paul's not making this up. He's saying, you know what you receive from us. And he says, you receive from us in the Lord Jesus. What he's saying is that Paul's commands are in the authority of the Lord Jesus. Paul's commands are through the Lord Jesus. So the commands that he's giving to us, it's not simply something that we just say, you know what, good idea, Paul, I don't really like that so much. No, he explained to the Galatians, in Galatians 1, he says, I'd have you know, brothers, he says, that the gospel was preached by me is not man's gospel, for I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And he goes on in the letter to the Galatians to explain that that. When he first was saved, he spent three years in the desert. And the implication is there that Jesus was actually teaching him in the desert. He was giving him instruction in the desert. And then he reported that he went back to Jerusalem and and he talked to them about what he had received from Christ. And he compared notes and it was the same thing. It was the apostolic teaching. This is teaching. These commands have come directly from Jesus. And even though this church was really young... It was probably less than a year old when Paul was writing to them. He knows he's already instructed this very young church from a very beginning of how they ought to live, how they ought to live and please God. What does it look like to live the Christian life? Because there is a way to live as a Christian. You know, the gospel is meant to have practical implications for how we live, for how we behave, for what we do. I want you to think about that in your own life. How does the gospel have presence in my life? How do I see that in what I do? Does what I do, has that been changed because of the gospel? Does what I look at, has that been changed by the gospel? How I speak, how I act, has that been changed by the good news of Jesus? And if so, how do I see that? How can I tell? You know, so often when we hear commands, when 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 it shifts over to commands of scripture, we can either do a few things. We can check out, because we think we're not going to do that, we can't do that, this is just somebody telling me what to do, and when nobody likes to be told what to do, if you're honest, or we can say, you know what, that's legalistic, that's just legalism. But that's not what Paul talks about. Elsewhere in his letters, and in Ephesians, in Ephesians 4.15, he talks about how speaking the truth in love, he says, we're to grow up into every way, into him who is the head, into Christ. So we're actually to grow up into Christ. And then he explains what growing up into Christ looks like. So you are a believer, now we're meant to live like a believer, we're meant to grow up into Christ. And so then he explains that later on in Ephesians 4.17. He says, now I say this and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk, so don't walk like this old creation, 
in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because the ignorance is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They become callous and give themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of purity. So he says, don't walk that way. But then he explains what it means to learn Christ, to grow up into Christ. He explains what that means. And these, the reason why I'm sharing this with these, these are the same things he would have been teaching to the church in Thessalonica. He says, you know, you already know, you already have received instructions about how you're to live. And he, he said earlier that he wants to supply what's lacking in their faith. What's likely lacking in their faith, because he transitioned to this, is they need the practical knowledge of how do they actually live their faith out. And that's what we need as well. We, we, can, we can talk about how wonderful Jesus is and how he's changed our lives, but, but then we can fail to actually apply that to our lives. We need instruction. We need to be supplied with what's lacking in our faith as well. And so he, he explains to the Ephesians, he says, don't walk like you used to walk in Ephesians 4, 19. And then he says in, in Ephesians 4, 20, he says, but that's not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him and taught in him and it's the truth is in Jesus, to put off so being in Jesus means putting off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And then he says, and be renewed. So put off, be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. And then he goes through a whole bunch of therefore, having put away falsehood and a whole bunch of things, what you should do, how to put off and put on, how to put off, how to put on, how to put off and how to put on. But all of this is under the, the rubric of that's how you've learned Christ because that's what it looks like to live like Christ. That's what it looks like to grow up into Christ. That means deliberately putting off the old self. It means deliberately putting on the new self. Let me ask you, if, as a Christian, have you become complacent with that? It says, see, can you be renewed in the spirit of our minds, our, our desires, our thoughts, motivated by putting this new self on, this new creation that we are in Christ, the, the image of who we really are in God, and we're meant to image him in, in true holiness and righteousness. You know, why do you think Scripture has so much to say about how we live? What do you think that is? It's because we've been made a new creation. We've been given a new life, and that new life has implications. It's meant to be lived out. We've already been made positionally completely righteous and holy before God. Now he says, because you're already there positionally, you're actually able now to walk it out, so now I want you to live like you already are. Live who I've called you to be. But here, when he says you ought to do something, sometimes when we read that passage in Scripture, we think, you know, you already know how you ought to live. And we can read it like, you know, you ought to get some sleep. But you know how many people here are going to have sleep, right? You know, you ought to eat healthy. And then we all kind of like put our heads down, well, it kind of eat healthy. We ought to exercise. You ought to pray. You ought, you ought to cut back on entertainment and social media. You ought to do these things. And, and we can take those oughts as suggestions sometimes. But that's not what Paul's saying here. He's, he's saying ought in the sense of a necessity. And it's the exact same word elsewhere is used in Scripture when it says that it was necessary that the Messiah must suffer and die for our sins. It wasn't a suggested thing that would have been good, but Jesus could take their leave it. No, it was necessary, just as it is necessary for us, how it's necessary for us to live and to please God. As, as evidence, if, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, it's necessary not, not to earn that position, but to, to demonstrate who we are in Christ out of worship, out of response to him. 
And so he says something here that we bristle. He says, how you ought to, how, you, how it is necessary for you to live and to please God. Did you know that as a Christian, it's necessary to live and please God? That's, that's who he saved us to be. Did you know he saved us that we would walk in good works? That was the purpose that he saved us so that we'd be able to do good works? Now, it says live here, if you notice in verse one, it says how you ought to live and to please God. The, the literal word there is walk. How you ought to walk. And I, I love that word because it, it's, it's vivid. It, it's, it's making progress. It's moving forward. It's taking one step at a time. It's active. Because the Christian life is meant to be a walk, a pursuit. We're going somewhere in the Christian life. It's a journey. We're, we're to be active and make use of opportunities. We're to make progress in the Christian life. And we're to take every step depending on God, communing with God. And, and I love that he gives the command walk. And Paul often uses the word walk all throughout his New Testament letters. And I think he does that because he's aware that we've been made a new creation. Now, how is that related to being a new creation? Do you remember in the Garden of Eden when God created Adam and Eve? What does it say he did? with Adam and Eve. Anybody know? He walked with them in the cool of the garden. What a beautiful image. The creator of all, walking with them. He's with them, relating to them. He's not distant. He's right there. He's with them. He's walking with them in the garden. There's a communion there. There's a fellowship there. They're walking together. And Paul says, hey, I want you to walk and please God. I want you to walk with God and please God. Walk in God and please God. And there's an aspect of the Christian life that's it's walking. It's this, this ability to commune with him. And he says, I want you to walk with God. I want you to please God. Now that idea, that might be strange for you because you know that positionally in Christ, Jesus is, God is already pleased with us because of, of the sacrifice of Jesus. He's taken away our sins. He's no longer displeased with us. But not just that. He's not just taken away the negative. He's also given us the positive. He's given us new life. He's given us all of his righteousness, all of the, the merit that he earned before God has been given to us. And so now we are positionally pleasing to God. Now Paul says, but walk like that. Walk in a manner that's in keeping with who you are, that's pleasing to God. Now, the motivation is different, though. When you love somebody, when you really are enamored with them, I think back, if, if you ever have dated someone, if, if you are married, and think back to when you originally pursued them and you were just enamored with them, you were smitten. I don't know if you were ever like that or not, but, but I remember being smitten with my wife and just, I wanted to, to do everything I did. I, I would kind of be oriented towards pleasing her. It wasn't a duty. It was because I loved her. It was just because I delight in her. And, and, and I hope that continues on today, that, that I want to do things to please her because I love her. It's, it's the motivation has changed. It's different. I don't want to please her because I'm, I'm worried about earning now. I want to please her because she's my wife and I love her. And so God has made you his own. And so he says, because I love you, because I made you my own, now walk in a manner that's pleasing, out of love, a response of love. And the verse is challenging, though, because how can you claim to love God if you're not living in a way that's pleasing to him? If, if, if I say I love my wife, but then I do all the things she hates, how loving do you think that would be to her? If they're like, honey, I really love you, but I'm going to leave things all over the place just to drive you nuts. I really love you, but I'm not going to help out at all. I, I love you, 
but you know, all the little things you've told me that annoy you, I'm going to try to do those. That wouldn't be loving at all. Now, now, nobody should be needling anybody else or kind of elbowing anybody else here. You know, we, we have to give each other grace. There's always times when we mistakenly do things that we, that we annoy our spouses or other people with or our siblings. But how can we claim to love God and yet not seek to live pleasing to him? It's not about legalistic duties. It's about a guiding principle for our lives. It requires listening for God, walking with him, communing with him. So how are we pleasing to God? By walking with God. How do we walk with God? By pleasing him. You know, you think through, what, what, what I'm doing, would this please God? You ever stop and think that way? What I'm looking at, would that please God? The site that I'm visiting, the, that movie that I'm watching, the story I'm, I'm reading, would that be pleasing to God? Would that be something that I can picture God walking right in here with me and I think God would be like, yes. Paul's talking about how we ought to live to walk and please God. Would, would the way we spend time, would that bring pleasure to God? Would God be like, yes, hi, this is great. The scripture says, find out what is pleasing to the Lord. It's not the only place he writes this command to, to be pleasing. In Ephesians 5.8, he says, For at one time, who you used to be, you were in darkness. That used to define you. You were in darkness, but now you're in light in the Lord. And so he says, now walk, same word, walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try, listen to this, try to discern, understand what's pleasing to the Lord. That is how we're to walk in a way that's pleasing to God is try to understand, hey, is this, is this conversation, is the way I'm talking about that person, is the way that I'm working, is, is the way that I'm interacting with other people, is that pleasing to God? And if not, I want to please God. I want to walk in a manner that's pleasing, to discern, to, to live thoughtfully, develop a, a discerning Christian perspective about how to apply God's word to our thoughts, our, our, our words, our actions, our attitudes. The Thessalonian church had already begun to do this, and now Paul says, you've already begun to do this, now I want you to do this, excel more and more, abound in this, continue to grow. You know, walking the Christian life, it means listening for the voice of the shepherd. He, he, he knows us, he calls us by name. And we, we hear his voice and we walk in response to him because we're his sheep, we're being led by him. And because of that, who we are in Jesus, we actually can grow. We can grow. He wouldn't be giving this command if, if, if they weren't able to grow. So who we are in Jesus, it means we can grow in how we walk. Did you notice what he says? He says, just as you are doing. You already are doing this. You can grow because you have grown. You're already walking in Jesus. You're already pleasing him. And so just as you're doing, I want you to do so more and more. How we walk seeking to please Jesus ought to be growing. And, and the thing is, we can grow. And sometimes, though, it's hard to believe that because sometimes we feel like we're not growing. We need to take a step back. We need to say, wait a minute, I actually have grown over the last year. I've grown over the last 10 years. I've grown over the last 20 years. I'm not the same person I used to be in Christ. And if you're a Christian, you can say that with confidence. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean you've arrived. We've got a lot of area to continue to grow in. But we can grow because we have grown. Just as you have grown, continue to do. It's meant to encourage us to look back 
and see that, that God has been at work in our lives. And sometimes we need other people to do that, by the way, too. That's why I love meeting in small groups during the week so we can encourage one another as long as it's called today and say, hey, I see you. I see that you're growing. I see you've grown in that area. I see that you're making progress. And, and that gives us faith and hope that we can continue to make progress. Just as we have done, he says, I want you to do so more and more. Because God's been at work, we can continue to grow and trust that he'll be at work. You know, I remember when my mom would ask me to clean my room on Saturday mornings. I hated it. I didn't like cleaning my room. Um, I, I would do just the bare minimum to get by. I would stuff things in places. I would hide things. I didn't like it if she actually opened the closet and checked to see if my room was clean. Well, my room is clean, technically. The closet might be full, but my room is clean. My room's clean. The bed might have a, all, all the clothes stuffed under it, but my room is clean. So I, I would do the bare minimum. I wanted to do the least required so I could go out and play. I'd follow the letter of the law to do what was needed so I could go ride my bike or go play in the field with my friends. But, but I wasn't wanting to please my mom. I just wanted to do the bare minimum. I also didn't want to really grow and that's not how Paul views the Christian life. The Christian life is to be a life of not doing the bare minimum, but in growing constantly. And that's exciting. It's meant to excite us that, that we get the opportunity to grow. We don't have to be stagnant like we've been. You, you don't have to be who you were. You are growing. And just as you are, continue more and more. And so the expectation is that we are able to grow more and more. That God will enable us to grow more and more. And maybe you are feeling like you are stuck and you are stagnant. You need to hear this. Just as you've grown you can grow more and more. God is at work in you. He's going to enable you to grow more and more. And that's exciting. And it's a sweet truth is that he's at work in us to bring about the fruit that he calls us to bear. And we're being called in the authority of the Lord. Not to be complacent, not to do the bare minimum, but to, to seek to excel, to abound in, in greater and greater degrees. What he's talking about is a deliberate pursuit, what, what theologians would call progressive we're growing more and more sanctification, growing to be like Jesus, not settling, not coasting. Let me ask you are, you, are you settling with where you're at? Or are you seeking to grow more and more because he's already been at work in your life, because of who you are in Christ? The Christian life's not a stagnant one. If you were to truly experience the life that God intends for us, it's necessary for us to continue to pursue growth. That means strategically, actively, reading your Bible, saying, Lord, how would you have me respond to your word? How would you have me conform my thinking, my living, in response to your authoritative apostolic word that we've received through Paul from Jesus and doing that out of posture of worship? And as we seek to grow in our walk, here's the thing. We're not alone. We can be confident that as we seek to grow in our walk, Jesus is with us to help us walk. Jesus is with us to help us walk. He's present, and he's ready, and he's eager to help. When he tells us in verse 2, he says, for you know what instructions we gave you, he says, through the Lord Jesus. That, that, that doesn't just mean he's received it from Jesus, but those instructions are meant to be carried out through the Lord Jesus. Those instructions that he's received in the Lord Jesus is how we carry out those instructions in the Lord Jesus. As we find ourselves in him, as we entrust ourselves to him, as we trust his enabling grace, his power, we're in Christ Jesus. We have the spirit of Christ in us. 
I love how Romans 8 talks about our progressive growth. And it talks about the fact that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. That God is, is for us so no one can be against us. And that he didn't spare anything we we're going to need. He is with us. And then Jesus, he, he, nothing is able to separate us from his love. That he's never going to leave us, never going to forsake us. And you know, after his resurrection, Jesus, he gives some commands to his disciples. It's kind of similar to what Paul's talking about here. So Paul is not making things up. Jesus said to go make disciples, teaching them to obey. That's, did you know that's part of our commission as disciples is to learn to obey Jesus? Not to earn his favor, but because we already have his favor. To, to live like the daughters and sons of the king that we are. To live like prince and princesses of the king. To, to live as, as fellow heirs of Christ. We're to live like that, but he's present with us. He didn't leave us alone. When he says, teaching him to obey all that I commanded. Look at Matthew 28, 20. He says, teaching them to observe or obey all that I've commanded you. And if you stayed there, that would be impossible news. But here's the good news. In our walk with Jesus, here's the second part of Matthew 28 that Jesus gave. And he says, teach them to obey all I commanded. What are the next words? He says, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He's with us. To help us walk. Yes, he commands us, but always with us. Yes, he commands us, but he is with us to the end of the age. That means he is helping us walk. He is enabling us to walk. And all throughout the New Testament, you're going to see there's a whole lot of commands that, to what it looks like to live in response to Jesus. How we live in a way that conforms to him, that's transformed by him, that adorns the good news of Jesus. Not to earn our salvation, but to walk out our salvation in a way that pleases him. And it's for our ultimate good. And, and here's the thing. When we think of commandments, we can think of commandments as mere duty. I don't think any of us, by nature, apart from Christ, we really want to do what other people tell us to do. I mean, maybe some people do. But by nature, when somebody tells me to do something, if I'm not wanting to love God, my first response is, nope. I think that's ingrained in the old human nature. You know, how many siblings, how many of you siblings love to have your siblings tell you to do something? Anybody here? Just raise your hand. You're like, I really want my siblings to tell me what to do. Anybody here? How many of you children love to be told what to do? Anybody, anybody here just love, like, mom, dad, bring it on, tell me what to do? Anybody? It's not our nature. But here's the thing. It really, it, it should be as sons and daughters of God. Why? Because God only wants what's good for us. He only wants what's best for us. When he gave Adam and Eve the command not to eat of the fruit of the garden, uh, of the knowledge of good and evil, when he gave them that command, he wasn't keeping good things from them. He was keeping them from bad. He wanted them to thrive, to flourish. And we, whenever we read biblical commands like this, and we read commands from Paul through Jesus, we need to see that this is actually commands to help us flourish. And he's going to go all through that. He's going to talk about what the, the Christian sexual ethic looks like. What does it look like to love other people? He's going to talk about that all through chapter 4 and 5. He's going to talk about what does it look like to conform ourselves into the image of Christ? What does that look like? And he's not writing those things to keep 
good things from us. No, he's writing these things to say, this is how your creator designed you, and now that you're a new creation, you can live like this, and that's in conformity because it's good for you. It's not just good for you. It's good for everybody around you to live in conformity to the image of Christ. It's good for the world. This is what we need. This is what we need to be transformed. And we're able to grow, and Jesus is right there with us to the end of the age. Commandments aren't aren't negative. Commandments from God are never meant to be negative. You know, when I I went to military school when I was in high school, and I don't don't think I ever saw those commands as good. They were a duty, and I I obeyed them because I didn't want to get in trouble and... Have, have demerits and then do these things they call tours, which are walking in squares for hours. It was miserable. Um, I didn't want to do that. But God's not giving us commands because he's seeking to punish. No, his, man, his commands are to help us stay in the lines, to keep us safe when we're driving on a, on a narrow, winding mountain road. I, we, a few years ago, we drove up Pikes Peak. My kids were laughing at me because I was terrified of it. I don't, I don't love heights, I don't like driving next to uh, several thousand feet that you could fall. And I'm just imagining, you know, all of my kids are with me, all eight of us, we can just go right over the edge and it'll be a long time before we hit bottom. It'll be a very painful and slow death. And so I'm like white knuckling at driving up Pikes Peak. And, and on the worst places, and I wish it was everywhere, it wasn't everywhere, but on the worst places, they would have guardrails. And I don't know how effective they would be really at stopping. So I was driving slow. But those guardrails were meant to keep me safe so I could actually enjoy the view a little, so I could enjoy where we're going, so I could get to the destination, so I could enjoy the vistas. And, and so those, those guardrails weren't to keep me from something good. They were keep me from going over the edge. That's the commands of God. It's like guidelines on a runway. I am really grateful that there are lights in the middle of a runway and that there are lanes that the planes, planes could land on because it, it keeps them landing safely, getting to their destination safely. That's what God's commands are meant to make us do. They're, they're guidelines, they're lights, they're guardrails. They're, you know, I remember when we were in Vancouver and a friend of ours, they had this massive yacht and we were going out in the channel and I was looking at the software he had up on the screen and it was these big maps, but really there was just a narrow area where he could go in because his yacht was so big and so he had to go in a certain area and so there were these channel markers he would follow. It wasn't the straightest line, but there were channel markers to follow to keep him from running aground in the ship so that we could actually enjoy the voyage. We could, we could enjoy all the beauty around us. And so God's commands are like that. They're for our good to keep us from danger, to tell us what does it mean now that we're a new creation, living like a new creation, living in, in the best that God has for us. And so let me ask you, when was the last time that you were reading God's word and you were convicted by something? You said, you know what, I, I'm going to plan, I'm going I'm to practice how I'm going to respond to this. Not out of duty, but because I want to live in God's best for me. I want to live in a way that is in conformity to the image of Christ. I want to grow because that's the whole point of the Christian life. He's conforming to the image of Christ. How does he do that? By actually walking and obeying his commands. That's how he does that. It's a process. And together, Christ working in us and, and we walking and seeking to walk that way is how we grow. So when was the last time that you actively sought to obey all that Jesus commanded you? And when you're making disciples, are you... Are you instructing them that way? Are you only giving them the indicative? 
or you tell them that in light of the indicative, in light of who we are, this is how we can live. Because God really is a better way for you to live. If you can't remember, there's no condemnation. But what's keeping you from the best that God is having for you? What, what's keeping you from walking out the Christian life like this in the present? What's keeping you from that? Now, sometimes we need to repent because we, we don't trust God for our growth. We say, God, I haven't trusted you for my growth, but I trust that you've been at work, you've made me alive. Now I'm gonna trust you for the ability to grow. Now, if you're not a Christian, it's gonna be a very difficult message for you because it's just gonna be things that you can't do on your own. And if you're not a Christian, God is not pleased with you because there's no way you can keep his laws without him working in you. There's no way you can ever be good enough. And even as a Christian, we're not going to ever be perfect. But we trust in the perfections of Christ for us. If you're not a Christian, though, you're, you're going to receive all the just penalty for all the ways you've broken his commands, for rejecting his son, for disobeying your creator. But if you've become a Christian, if you're actively placing your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and trusting in him daily. That's what it means to be a Christian. It's not just, I, I, I prayed a prayer, but I'm actively trusting in him for the forgiveness of sins, and I'm trusting him for my daily life. My hope, then, is not in my performance or my obedience. Your hope's in the fact that all of your sins, all of your disobedience have already been put away, put on Christ, on the cross, when he died for you lovingly. And all the credit for Jesus' obedience has gone to you and if you're trusting in Jesus like that, then, then here's the really good news. You, you can grow. He's going to be with you. He's going to help you grow because he's adopted you. God has adopted you as his own son and daughter. And you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. You're fully and completely secure in God. That's how we pursue growth because we're fully and completely secure in God. He's delivered us already from the wrath to come. And he's pleased with us completely because of Jesus. That's never going to change. He set his affection on you. He loves you. He's called you. He's chosen you. He's made you into his image. He's called you into his own kingdom and glory. These are all things we've learned at Thessalonians so far. And the risen Christ has not left us alone, but he's given us his word to live by. And we're already pleasing to him because of the gospel. So because of that, we can live lives pleasing to him. You know, I love the imagery of a parent when the kids come in and they got muck in all over them, they were playing in a pigsty and they come in and the parent lovingly cleans off all the muck. You know, God wants to wash us clean to kind of rid us from this, the, the muck that's accumulated from life in a fallen world. He's not trying to keep good things from us. He's trying to keep all the nasty stuff off, like a parent lovingly washing and cleaning. So why would we not want to live pleasing to the one who loves us so much? May we seek to live as is necessary to walk and to please God by his grace because he's with us, amen? Let's pray. God, thank you that you've not left us alone. You've not left us clueless. Lord, we were like those who were drowned and you rescued us, you raised us to new life, but you didn't raise us to the new life and rescue us to leave us cold and shivering on the shore. You raised us to new life so that we could walk in joy in you, that we can enjoy the walk with you, that we can enjoy growing in you. And Lord, thank you that you've not left us alone. Would you empower us, enable us to have faith to grow, Lord? And would you give us, Lord, convictions where, where it's necessary, but would you give us hope and joy the fact that you are making us more like you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.